Come on. She is strong. She is powerful. She is Julie Masters. She has spent a career decoding influence. She's a leading authority in the speaking world. She earned a reputation for launching and advising some of the world's most respected and recognized thought leaders. She's the co-founder of Ode Management, the world's largest dedicated speaker management agency, the founder and CEO of Influence Nation, helping people to become the voice of authority in their space. Julie, I'm excited to have you on. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you for that introduction. <laughs> I love it. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Oh, personal life. Well, personal life, I don't have, even by personal life, you mean social life? I have none currently. I'm here in Sydney, Australia, coming to you from the future. And um, <laughs> we are currently in lockdown. And I'm in lockdown with two small children under five. And um, running a business and a life amidst all the changes and curveballs that are coming our way. So social life, I have none. Personal life um, goes from the the crazy to the sublime most days. But I was born, give you a little bit of background, I was born in England. So I spent the first 20 years of my life in England. I then took to the skies as a backpacker, ended up in Sydney, Australia. And kind of stumbled my way into the speaking world as an agent, um, went on to build a talent agency with a good friend and colleague, which we then scaled into the States. So we had offices here in Australia, we had offices and staff in America, and we had speakers based all over the world. And since then, I started Influence Nation, which is a consultancy company that works with some of the you know, leading CEOs, thought leaders, um, executive teams on how to build their influence in the marketplace. So that is 40 odd years in four sentences or less. I like it. Well done. And do you have, I, I've got a soon to be five-year-old boy and a soon to be two-year-old boy running around. So I think that we can probably exchange notes on that one. Yeah, if I had any notes for you, I'd give them. <laughs> I have none. <laughs> what was it moving from the from the sublime to something on a daily basis? Uh, I don't know the sublime to the crazy, the sublime to the insane. Yes, some some something like that. I like it. So we were talking a, a, a little bit um, before we got started, just about how the internet is 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 wonderful. Uh, we're not handling it necessarily as as well as we can. Perhaps it's impossible to sort of to 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 hold on to the reins of it. And depending on where you are in the world, you're 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 having a different experience, which isn't anything groundbreaking there. Um, in terms of becoming and be 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 becoming an authority, I really wanted to ask you. Uh, I feel like we're we're at a stage where it's almost like chicken of the egg, where you have people like Jordan Peterson, who got really really good at something, and then he got extremely famous because of the internet, and then you've got somebody like like Jake Paul who got really really famous, and now he's getting good at something. How do you think about that? I think that it's important probably to to create a couple of distinctions there you know the first distinction you talk about the internet and the digital world and that's a big part of the work that i do which is how has the digital world completely changed influence as we know it 
um, what, what what's possible, the momentum, the speed, the traction that's possible, but also the amount of noise and, you know, the discipline that it takes now to, to, to do that in a healthy way. So firstly around the digital world, you know, the digital world and everything that comes with it is just a tool, right? It's like a brick. You can build a house with it. You can build a cathedral with it. You can hit someone over the head with it. <laughs> so I just think it's important to frame that, that we're just talking about a tool here, an incredible tool, one of the most incredible tools we've ever had our fingertips on as humanity in terms of its scope and its scale, possibilities-wise, but it is still just a tool. Um, the other distinction that I want to make is between influence and famous, between influence and popularity. And those are two very, very different things. And if we get confused between the two, then we're on a we're on a road to misery. And maybe not even misery, we're just on a road to not getting the results or the ROI or the change that we want to make. So, you know, let's just look at influence for a moment. You know, what is the definition of influence? The the definition of influence is the ability to say, you know, I have something interesting and to be compelling enough and connected enough so that people look. So you say, look over here, and people look around, and then invite them on a journey that they then follow you on to a particular outcome. That, that is influence. Now, you can be incredibly influential. I only have 200 people in your network. I only have 200 people know what you do. I would rather you have 200 people know what you do, 20 people know what you do, who are just absolutely passionate about what you put out there in the world, who would share you gladly with everybody that they know, who would pay attention every time you say this is worth looking at and who would take action. I would rather that than you have 2 million people on a social media platform who are aware of what you do, potentially maybe, who like what you do. And let's get real about likes. It takes zero investment to press like on anything, you know, 5,000 people liking your outfit or liking the fact that you went to the beach today, that is not influence. These are two very different things and I think we need to be careful of the metrics that we use here. Popularity is not a metric of influence. Action is a metric of influence. So just divorcing those two things because, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I know a lot of people with a lot of following with huge amounts of following and you know a fair majority of those people still struggle with the best of intentions and all the actions in the world to figure out how to get that following to equate to an outcome be that financial be that a change in the world so the two the two distinctions one is the dig digital is neither good nor bad it is a tool and the second one is the difference between influence and popularity if you want to increase your influence, if you want to increase your popularity, you know, there's a thousand hacks, tricks, secrets, you know, that you can employ that will make you famous quickly, probably for a short period of time. But if you, if it's influence that you want, if it's building your authority that you want, if it's a long-term change you are looking to make or a long-term result you are looking to build, then the fastest way that I know to do that is probably threefold. Number one, you need to get clear about what space it is that you want to own. 
Now, before the digital age or in the early stage of the digital age, you could own what we call a macro space. It's a fancy way of saying a very large space. You know, you could be the guru of finance. You could be the guru of parenting. You could be the guru of health and wellness. You know, there's very few platforms, very small amounts of noise. There's rarefied air on the stage or not many people got a book deal. Not many people got a TV show. Now, you want your own TV show? Take you five minutes or less, get a YouTube channel. You want your own radio show? You know, it'll take you five minutes or less, get a podcast. You know, it takes a lot more to keep it going, but to start it is relatively easy. For sure. You know, you want your own newspaper, start a blog. So there's all this noise. And the people that are standing out now as authorities are the micro authorities, micro authorities, people who own a hyper, hyper specialized space, which then begs the question, you know, how do I do that? I don't know what my hyper specialized space should be. I don't know what my niche or niche should be. So the the best tool that I have for that, and I know that you know you and I. This is a, a short bite into into a world, so I'll make it really brief. The fastest way that I know how to do that is this tool called Influence Intersections that we kind of developed over the years. And Influence Intersection. If you just imagine me for those that are listening, if you imagine I'm holding up my arm, holding my arm up into the air, that line that my arm creates, that is one world. That represents one world. And that's a world where you have mastery, experience, and insights. Then hold up your other arm so it makes a cross. That second arm represents a second world where you have mastery, experience, and insights, where you are fluent in the language. And that space, that space where those two lines meet, that is your impact zone. That is your micro-authority. Now, it's a longer journey to figure out what it is. People can take a long time figuring out what it is, trying different things. But I'll give you some examples of some context. So, for example, Jamie Oliver. You know, when he first started out, there were a lot of chefs out there. There were a lot of, you know, six-star, very posh, usually very French chefs in the world. He was never going to stand out there. So he took another world, another world where he had mastery, experience, and insights, another world where he spoke the language, and that was the world of feeding a family quickly, in a healthy way, and on a budget. And he overlaid those two worlds, and that space, that space in the middle where the lines crossed, that was where he could stand out. That was where he became a micro-authority. I'll give you another example. Let's look at Steve Jobs and Apple. Again, when Apple first started out, you know, he and Wozniak knew a lot about engineering, but they were going to have to go up against the IBMs of the world. And they knew an awful lot about engineering as well. And they knew that they would never stand out there. So they took that world that they had mastery, experience and insights in the world of engineering and they overlaid it with another world, the world of the creator, the world of the maverick, the world of people who wanted to build things, take risks, combine those two worlds. And that was a space where Apple dominated. So usually that first world, if you want to think about it, again, it's not complicated. Get a piece of paper out, draw a cross on it. That first world is what you do. It's what you do. It's your expertise. It might be what you spend your day doing. It's the what you do. The second world is usually something unique about your story, your journey, who you are, a path you have walked or are currently walking. And so that's the fastest way I know to give us some like some clues, right? So uh, uh, some signs on the path on the way to becoming a micro authority. Now, micro authorities get four times more engagement than people who try and own too large a space. It's like 
shouting someone's name out into a room, right? You just go into a room and shout, hey, no one turns around. You shout someone by name, they'll turn around. And so that that's the power of being a micro-author. You speak to one subset of the market deeply and in a meaningful way. And they go like, oh my goodness, this person knows my world. They know my language. They speak to me, speaking directly to me. And so that's how, that's how we stand out to people. But it's also how we show up authentically in the world. Because we're no longer try, hiding behind the technicalities of what we do. We're no longer hiding behind the information. We're no longer trying to be more of an expert than somebody else, which is a fool's mission. Because there's so many experts now. We have no shortage of experts. We have no shortage of information. But by overlaying it with your own unique journey, suddenly not only do you stand out more but you occupy that space more because you can authentically turn up the volume on who you are it's not about being someone you're not that's another misconception when it comes to raising your influence or raising your authority this has nothing to do with being someone you're not i would never advocate that this is about turning up the volume on who you are this is about bringing your full self to the party full self into the arena, in the words of, of the amazing Brene Brown. This is about showing up. And what happens when we do that, it's miraculous. The other thing that people fear, I think, when it comes to owning a, a micro position is that, oh my goodness, you know, what about everybody else? What about all the others that I'm suddenly not talking to? Well, guess what? It's this really interesting phenomenon. And the way that it was described to me was, you know, you need to go deep in order to go wide because you need to go deep to get attention. You need to call someone's name in a crowded room. But then what happens is if you do a good enough job, if you're great enough at what you do, then they suddenly start sharing you. And then they're saying like, hey, you know what? There's this, there's this incredible guy, George. You know, like he spoke directly to me. I don't know if he speaks directly to you, but he's, he's amazing at what he does and I really think that he could help you. And all of a sudden this width, this breadth comes in that isn't possible unless you go deep first. So that's probably, you know, there's, there's a few different layers in raising your influence, but that's the first piece, becoming a micro-authority. The second piece is translating a journey, becoming what I would call the primary translator of the world of your target market. And if you look, you look, Georgia, you know, everybody you follow, everybody you pay attention to, you read everything they write, you watch everything they put out there, they're your go-to in any topic, parenting, fishing, golfing. I guarantee you, you follow them, you give them your attention because they translate something important for you. And, and that's another distinction. Again, we don't, we, we don't have an information gap. None of us feel like we have an information gap. Your target market does not have an information gap. We have more information than we could possibly know what to do with. We have a translation gap. What we need right now are the translators, people who, and the definition of a translator, people who go out onto the fringes to places I neither have the time nor the bandwidth nor the experience to go and bring back information to me in small, easy to digest bites using my language. That's a translator. So once you've figured out your micro authority, then look at the journey that you want people to go on. Look at the journey that you're advocating and translate that. And the way that we translate is by becoming fluent in the questions of that target market. Okay, what questions does my target market have along this path about what I do? And then we answer those questions and that's how we become in small, easy to digest bites. Again, this is not an information dump. There's enough of that. That's where we're lost right now. 
where most of us are lost on most topics. We don't know how to make head or tail of the information. Translating it in small, easy to digest bites for our target market. And then the third one, the third key is becoming what I would call an epic storyteller. Learning the tools of epic storytelling. Because if again, if you look at the world of attention, which is the world that I live in, you're, you are now going up against this beautiful languaging that I got from Ben Jones, who works in Google, runs this team called Unskippable Labs. Amazing. 50 billion hours, not 50, sorry, 5 billion hours of video gets watched on YouTube every single day. And the team at Unskippable's only job is to figure out which stories we skip, you know, the little skip button, and which stories we don't. And he was talking about the Netflix effect. And he was saying, you know, we are watching so much Netflix right now, so much Stan, so much Amazon Prime, that the bar on storytelling has gone up so high, and that is what you are competing against. You're not competing against your industry anymore when it comes to being able to hold our attention with storytelling. You're competing against the quality of story that we are used to receiving. And so one of the biggest skills I think that you need to build, muscles that you need to build if you want to up your influence in the world is your ability to tell epic stories, to tell compelling stories, to find and communicate using epic stories. So that was a very long answer to what was a very short question. It was a, a wonderful answer to what was a, a dumb question looking back on it. So. <laughs> kind of been that much of a dumb question. It sent me down a rabbit hole. Well, it, it is what it is. That's, that's, that's awesome. That's a really, really helpful framework. And as as you were, as you were sharing that framework, I was thinking about just just myself and and other people that 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 I know that are successful. And I think that it it's 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 brilliant and and, and very actionable. How do I become an epic storyteller, though? Epic storytelling. Um, epic storytelling. The I mean, that's a big topic, right? For sure. There's probably three <laughs> three core things to an epic story. Number one. Do I believe you? Is it personal? Number one, personal. Do I believe you? Have you walked this road before? Have you held the hand of somebody else who has walked this road? Is it a personal story? We're in that day and age of personal stories. And by personal stories, I don't mean you need to share any element of your life you're not comfortable with. I don't mean you have to, you know, like you cut open a vein and leave yeah. on the internet. You know, this isn't about that. This is about, you know, what is a story that only you can tell? And... I interviewed um, Barack Obama's um, director of speech writing. He's been his director of speech writing for over 10 years for my own podcast. And I was talking to him about storytelling and what makes for epic storytelling. And he said this, which I just thought was genius. He said that whenever he was to write a speech with Obama, they would sit down and they would only ask two questions. Number one, what is the story that we want to tell? And number two, why are you the only one who can tell that story? So I think that that is a really useful framework for figuring out, okay, what's, what's a story that only I can tell? What's an experience in my life? What's somebody's, one of my clients' experiences? What's, what's a story that only you can tell? So that's the personal. The second one is relevant, and this one gets missed all the time. Is it relevant to me? Is it useful to me as the receiver? Can I do something with it? Um, in my office, we have this rule, we call it the keep it or share it rule. And the keep it or share it rule basically means that unless it is valuable enough for someone to keep it, to refer back to it again later, or share it with somebody else that they know, then it doesn't leave the building. 
keep it or share it raw. So I think that that's another important barometer for storytelling. And number three is an emotive. And this one gets missed a lot. And by emotive, I don't mean, you know, is it fearful, dramatic, outrage, drama? You know, the bar on storytelling that we see out there in the media at the moment has dropped substantially due to, you know, drops in revenue models, a very complicated beast. But what it means is that the, the cheapest tools of influence, the cheapest way to get people's attention is fear, drama, and outrage. That'll work every time. Right. But that's not how we earn authority or influence in the long run. And that's not the kind of change, difference that we want to make in the world just anyway. So when I say emotive, stories are emotive, I don't mean that they are fearful, dramatic, or outrageous. What I'm talking about is that they use something that I would call charismatic language, which isn't my term. It's a, it's a term coined by some researchers um, out of Harvard, I think. And charismatic language just means that every single target market has language they use to talk about what you do when you're not there. And that is the language you need to become fluent in. So if you tell a story using your technical language, using the language that you usually use, using jargon, spreadsheets, graphs, however you usually tell your story in your language, I am completely disconnected. I'm emotionally disconnected from that story. You need to tell the story using my language. You need to take that story and make it my story. And so those are probably the most powerful three, three tools when it comes to deciding, you know, upping your skills as an epic storyteller. And there's also the craft of, of epic storytelling, which is a whole other beast again. Um, but while we're on this topic, I think probably the biggest thing that stops people from stepping out as an epic storyteller in their space or stepping out as a translator in their space is this kind of myth of perfection that it needs to be perfect. Um, it needs to be word perfect. It needs to be the perfect time. I need to say the perfect things. There needs to be absolutely no way anyone could ever disprove or disagree with anything that I'm saying. The lighting needs to be perfect. I need to have the perfect tech, the perfect camera, the perfect budget. I mean, I could just go on. Sure. I've heard them all. I could just go on. Um, and the truth is that if you look at what compels us now, if you look at what captivates you, if you look at what last caught and kept your attention, promise you it wouldn't have been perfect. We are put off by perfect we find perfect kind of a little bit disengaging we find perfect a bit scary there's plenty of case studies i could go through that prove that to be true but you only have to look anecdotally you know reality tv we love reality tv if you look at what you love watching on the internet you know it's raw and real it's the stories behind the stories it's behind the scenes it's that moment of reflection it's that spontaneous idea so Look at what you love to consume. Look at what you, captivates you. And then look at what you believe you have to be in order to be compelling. And there's a massive disconnect. So I think getting rid of that idea of compelling. And as a first step to that, just start noticing. Just start getting forensic about what just caught your attention. Why? Why did you stick with it? What made you stay there and watch the, the whole of that? And I would put money on the fact that it's perfectness will never be the answer so you're getting over that myth that myth of perfection and the second myth is the myth of confidence getting over the myth of confidence that one day the skies will part the angels will sing a light will shine on us a sunbeam will hit our heads and somebody will say you know you are you are chosen go forth 
you know, and suddenly we'll feel confident because we have been chosen. And I say this with absolute confidence because I've been that person. I've been there and I've, you know, worked with and, and supported many people who are in that situation, who are waiting. And I can promise you having, you know, worked with some very powerful people, some very compelling, very influential people, that day never comes. There is never a day when you are chosen. There is never a day when you feel confident suddenly. You know, confidence shows up when we show up over and over and over again. It's the result. It's not the ingredient. It doesn't happen first. It happens at the end. By the time it's happened, you don't even need it anymore. You've done the thing. You've become the thing. So we need to stop waiting. Stop waiting for confidence. Stop waiting for perfection. And we need to start developing what I would call a mindset of certainty. And a mindset of certainty you can have right now, you can have today. And that is when you go, you know what? I give you the best that I've got. Today, I give you the best that I have got. Where all of my experiences, where everything I have learned, where all of my failures, all of my wins, where that has brought me, I give you the best that I have. And tomorrow, I'm going to show up. I might learn something new and I'll adapt. But today, I show up. I give you the best that I've got. That is certainty. That's gravity. It's very different to confidence. I would far rather you have gravity than you have confidence. Or definitely than you wait for confidence. I love it. Well, that that certainly more than answered my question. So I, I, I appreciate that. Well, now there's no excuse for uh, me not to be a more effective influencer and for everybody who's listening to be a more effective influencer. Julie, I appreciate it. You're welcome. welcome. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on. Where can people learn more about you and how can people engage with you? You can learn about me um, on LinkedIn. There's there's plenty of stuff on LinkedIn. You can go to my website. Probably the best place to, to find me is via my podcast, Inside Influence. You can find it on YouTube, Spotify. Um, and you can also join up to my newsletter where I share one kind of mindset shift, one behavior shift, one strategy per week to help raise your influence. And you can sign up to that um, via my website as well. And give us the website again www. don't really need to say that, do I? juliemasters.com. The www. is assumed. I love it. Perfect. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Julie your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Check out the Inside Influence podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Go to juliemasters.com and check out the great site that Julie has. It's a truly awesome site. Get on her email list for the weekly updates that she mentioned. Find her on LinkedIn as well. I'll install those in the notes of the show. Thanks again, Julie. You're welcome. Great to speak to you, George. Likewise. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight. We are all in this together.